all hits all the time. We are family. Max Scherzer, double-digit case. We're busting ours to kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a Oh, mercy. Five, four, two, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody, from our new studio inside the Mass and Newsroom. I am Bobby Blanco, and of course, we are brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountStains.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Thanks for tuning in on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channels. We've got a great episode for you this week in light of the new documentary that premiered over the weekend on the 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. I caught up with Masson's own Bob Carpenter, who had a front row seat to it all. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Bobby Blanco here, now joined by Mass and Matt Nationals broadcaster Bob Carpenter. Bob, it's good to see you. How are you? Great to see you, Bobby. Uh, good to be on with you. And uh, hello to Paul behind the scenes. Yeah, he's, we've switched uh, spots right now. I'm taking more of the uh, Nationals podcast uh, coverage duties, and he's on the Orioles side. So we have to swap back and forth who runs the sticks behind the scenes. But um, want to get you on, Bob, because um, of the uh, new documentary that premiered over the, this past weekend, um, chronologizing chronologizing the uh, 1998 season, obviously the historic home run chase between Sammy Sosa, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. And you were the Cardinals TV broadcaster during that season. Can you first set the scene for us, Bob? What was it like going into that 98 season? Uh, obviously, the strike had finished a couple years ago. Cal Ripken beat uh, Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak a couple seasons prior to that, too. What was the atmosphere surrounding the sport of baseball heading to this season? Well, you know, in St. Louis, it was kind of odd because the Cardinals, and pardon the voice, by the way, I guess it's some summer allergies. Uh, I'm missing the bass part of my voice, so uh, we'll be a baritone but, um, you know, going into the season, Mark McGuire had come to the Cardinals at the trading deadline in 1997 from Oakland. And I think he finished that season between the A's and the Cardinals with like 58 home runs. So everybody knew the guy was capable of hitting a lot of home runs. And so it, it was a lot of excitement surrounding Mark coming to St. Louis because we had never really had a guy like that. Albert Pujols was not on the scene yet. The Cardinals were always built on speed and defense and pitching, you know, going back to the days of Lou Brock stealing bases, although Lou had some power. And then guys like Bake McBride, Vince Coleman, Ozzie Smith, Lonnie Smith, Willie McGee, uh, they were guys playing for Whitey Herzog who kind of pounded the ball into the artificial turf and then just started running and they employed what FP would call the run till you they tell they tag you offense. So, you know, the Cardinals are always built on that. And then all of a sudden, Mark McGuire comes to town and he's hitting 10, 11 home runs every month. And the thing starts building and people right away start talking, of course, about Roger Maris and the 61 homers. He had broken Babe Ruth's record back in the 60s of 60 home runs. And so, you know, a lot of expectations, a lot of... Uh, mystery and excitement going into that 98 season. 
And then Sammy Sosa decides to join the fun with the Cubs, you know, and they got this thing going between the two of them. And the Cardinals and the Cubs is kind of the National League version of the Yankees, Red Sox, or another National League rivalry like Giants, Dodgers uh, out on the West Coast. And that, of course, all started in New York. So, um, you know, it was an exciting time. And it kind of changed how we looked at baseball because we had never really seen since the days of Stan Musial and some of the other sluggers when I was a little kid, we had never seen Cardinal teams built around power. And Mark McGuire changed that entire dynamic. Yeah, you mentioned them being obviously, of course, in the same division, obviously from two great baseball towns as well, Chicago and St. Louis. How much of a factor do you think that played into this whole rivalry between McGuire and Sosa? Do you think the fact that they were in the same division, they played each other 11 times during that season? Um, and can you kind of take us through the progression of the season? And when did you kind of realize that something special might be going on right here? Yeah, you know, that was the second year of interleague play. So uh, we no longer had what we call the balanced schedule in the National League where you played everybody in the league twice and you never played anybody from the American League. You actually played everybody in the National League twice, home and home. So prior to 1997, we played the Dodgers and the Giants as much as we played the Cubs or the Mets. So, uh, you know, once division play started with Interleague in 97 and you started playing more games within your own division, you know, it, it kind of added to the whole 98 thing. Cardinals, Cubs, Mark, Sammy. Sammy was chasing Mark most of the season. Uh, caught him, even went ahead of him for a brief time in September after they had both broken Roger Maris's record. And, uh, yeah, you know, the whole thing, um, it's kind of like what could you do that was more exciting? I guess the only thing, Bobby, that could have been better was if the Cardinals had been better as a team. They were really not in the race in September. They, um, They fell way behind the Cubs. Cubs were headed for the playoffs. And as a team broadcaster, you know, to me, it's always all about the team. It's about winning because in St. Louis, they've won more pennants along with the Dodgers than anybody else in the National League. And um, it's, it's all about the team winning. That year was so unusual because it no longer was about the team winning. It was about coming to the ballpark and watching Paul Bunyan hit a couple of home runs, you know, because that's what Mark seemed like. He was bigger than life. And uh, so there were a lot of different dynamics at work during that amazing season. Yeah, what do you think that says about this season and this rivalry between Sosa and McGuire in that, you're right, the Cardinals didn't make the postseason. The Cubs snuck in as a wild card, but then they ended up getting swept by the Braves in the the, uh, NLDS. So the fact that they had captivated the entire, not just baseball world, but sporting world, what was that kind of, I mean, how much significance does that add to what they were doing in that they weren't on great teams, but they were just captivating everybody everywhere everywhere they went? Yeah, you know, it... I guess, you know, it's kind of maybe the thing about baseball that's a little different than any other sport. Now, obviously, when the Bulls needed a basket, you knew the ball was going to be in Michael Jordan's hands. And those situations would come up many times. Players get more shots in basketball than they do at bats in baseball. But when you have that at bat in baseball, you're the only, unless the bases are loaded or people are on base, you're the only offensive player 
that's on the field. That's your moment. That's your time. And for Mark to be able to step up time after time, and for that matter, uh, Sammy too, and do what they were able to do in those situations, you know, many of which for our ball club and, and for the Cubs meant winning or losing a ball game, you know, and, and they just kept stepping up and they kept doing these amazing things. Uh, I don't remember hearing any stories about pitchers grooving fastballs so that one of those guys could hit a home run. I, I thought um, I thought Steve Traxel put it best on the uh, documentary the other night. You know, he gave up McGuire's 60-second home run. He said, I wasn't happy about it. I didn't want that to happen to me. I wanted a guy to go over whatever and strike him out a couple of times. And, uh, you know, so nobody was giving these guys an inch. They earned everything they got that season. Now, Sammy played in a more favorable hitter's ballpark, but at Wrigley Field, it's pretty cold in April and May. In St. Louis, it can be too, but not like Chicago with that wind blowing off the lake. So when Wrigley Field um, warmed up in June, and Don Zimmer, when he managed the Cubs, he used to say it was like managing in three different ballparks. The first two months, the wind blew in, it was cold. The next three months, the wind blew out, it was warm. And then maybe in September, it turned around again and felt like May or it felt like April. So, you know, Sammy went crazy. I think June's the month when he hit the 20 homers, the record. And that's when the whole complexion of the Sosa-McGuire thing really took center stage. They pushed each other. They became great friends. And it was really interesting to watch. And, you know, we, we really didn't want to like Sammy Sosa because he was a Chicago Cub. But you kind of had to like him because what he was doing and because the way he and Mark acted toward each other. And, uh, you know, I think in some instances uh, they wanted to pull for each other, but they also wanted to beat the other guy as well. And as the, the home team for the Cardinals broadcaster, what was it like? We mentioned earlier that, the, the, you know, they played 11 times throughout the course of the season being in the same division. But what was it like being – you know, you're around this team, the Cardinals, every single day as the home team broadcaster, and then all of a sudden they just pick up momentum, McGuire and Sosa, and just crushing home runs, and then it's just a media frenzy every single time, not just when they're playing each other, but when they're yeah. playing or they're setting up to the plate. What was it like being the hometown media member, but then also seeing just the attention it was getting worldwide, especially when they played each other? Well, I think all of us got a little tired of the media crush at the ballpark every day. Because once Sammy hit all those homers in June, we still had three months of the season left, and these guys are already 40 home runs, 45. Uh, you know, they get to 60 early September. The media crush was unbelievable. It was like going to a playoff game every night. When we were on the road, uh, Joe Walsh, who was our chief uh, Bush Stadium security guy in St. Louis, he started traveling with the team. And then Major League Baseball assigned a full-time security guy uh, to travel with us and to help Joe keep Mark safe and out of harm's way. So we're on the road. And it was like traveling with a rock star. It was like being in a hotel with the Beatles or Paul McCartney or you know Mick Jagger or whatever. Uh, they're sneaking Mark in through back doors, through the kitchen. They're getting him to his room, going up the freight elevator. So fans couldn't find him and stuff like that. They had security posted outside his room or at least on his floor. And the whole thing was just kind of crazy. So I think all of us got tired of a little bit. But at the same time, Bobby, you know, you, you know 
in your mind that, yeah, you're broadcasting the games, so you're at least a part of something that's kind of historical. And as I talked about later or earlier, you know, baseball is a game of numbers, and these numbers just keep piling up. They keep on going up and up and up. And, um, you know, you just kind of you kind of get caught up in it. You want to be a good broadcaster. You want to represent your team. You don't want to slight the other guys on the team because there were some good players on that 98 ball club. We had a really good slugger, uh, Ron Gant, who had been with the Braves, guy who hit a lot of home runs. You know, there were just some really good players on, on that team and some good pitchers too. So we had to be careful, I think, as team broadcasters to not make it all about Mark and all about the home runs. You know, we wanted to give the other guys on the team their due and get excited about their highlights as well. But it's pretty different than anything I've ever been a part of. And maybe the closest thing that I've come to since was 2012 when Bryce Harper came up, Mm. you know, and Bryce was the center of attention every day. He's the rookie. He's the chosen one, all this stuff. And then he starts getting comfortable hitting home runs and doing the things that Bryce Harper did. But, uh, you know, as a broadcaster, you just want to, you want to stay professional, I think, is what I'm trying to say, and try not to get too crazy and too goofy with all this kind of unusual stuff that's going on. Well, Bob, your class all through and through, we all know that. And I'm just picturing back to the World Series last year covering the Nationals and that media frenzy. And that was just over a course of the week. I can't imagine having to go through that every single day over the course <laughs> of the entire baseball season. Um Bob, you, of course, got to know Mark McGuire pretty well, uh, covering him um, while he was in St. Louis. But you also were in Texas with the Rangers when Sammy Sosa got called up in the late 1990s, or late 1980s, yeah. excuse me. Um, what do you remember about a young slamming Sammy? Well, and they used a highlight of me calling a Sammy Sosa base hit uh, with the Texas Rangers. I, 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 my wife and I were watching on the couch, and I almost jumped up. I said, wow, I, I never even dreamed they would pull a highlight of me calling Sammy because I was with the Rangers from 86 to 89 uh, doing their TV, and Sammy got called up. He was um, He was strong. He was slim. He wasn't as big as he was in 98. And for that matter, neither was Mark McGuire earlier in his career. And I, I think I viewed Sammy as a really talented kid who was very fast. He had power. He could run the bases. He could steal bases. He could play the outfield. He had a good arm. And I knew the Rangers were on to something else uh, with this kid. And I, and I think I saw a clip during the show uh, about President Bush, George, uh, George W. Bush. He was one of the primary owners of the Rangers at the time they traded Sammy to the Cubs. And he regretted that deal and said so in one of the presidential debates, I think. Uh, But I remember Sammy well. Uh, He seemed like a great kid, ton of personality, Uh, you know, a little bit of a language barrier. I don't think he spoke a ton of English when he first came to the major leagues, and a lot of the young men don't. And then they adapt, and they're really smart, and, you know, they get good at all of those sort of personal things uh, that they need to do. So that was really interesting. The last thing I expected watching that show the other night was me calling a Sammy Sosa highlight when he was a rookie with the Texas Rangers. So uh, that was pretty cool. I jumped up as well, and I was like, I know that voice. That's Bob. That's Madison Bob. Um, <laughs> yeah, it took me a second to uh, 
to, to have that register. And ironically, he got called up from Tulsa, which is where I live, mm -hmm. because at that time, the, the Tulsa Drillers, which they're still called, they're with the Dodgers now. Uh, they were the Rangers double-A ball club. So I was kind of slipping in a little plug for my hometown as well. And, and here that call somehow makes the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, 30 for 30. Right. And well, you, who knew you were so tied into this thing? Uh, Bob, you also, of course, got to know Mark McGuire very well, covering him for the, uh, that whole entire season. What's Do you have a personal favorite story of Mark, maybe an interaction you had with him that not many fans know? Because obviously that season is kind of clouded in controversy, but I, I think yeah. the documentary did a really good job of making Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa look like good people, no one who wanted to do anything wrong. They just wanted to play baseball. Any personal anecdotes that you like about, I guess, Sammy Sosa too, but anything you like to yeah. share? Well, there, yeah, there are three things that stick out on my mind. First of all was uh, July 30, uh, actually August 1st of 1997. The Cardinals were in Philadelphia. Mark McGuire had been traded. He flew across the country and we were playing the Phillies that night on the road. I was doing TV. Mike Shannon was doing radio and we knew Mark was coming in from the airport with Buddy Bates, our clubhouse guy. And so um, Mike and I waited in the visitor's clubhouse for McGuire to show up. So here he comes in with Buddy, and he's got his duffel bag, and it's all green and gold and Oakland A's and all this stuff. And uh, Mike and I sat there. We, we I had met Mark a few years before that in Arizona. I interviewed him during an ESPN spring training game. Uh, that I was doing with Gary Thorne, actually. I was the reporter on the game, and wow. <laughs> Gary was doing play-by-play. -play. Um, World's colliding. Yeah, and we both, uh, you know, Mike and I introduced ourselves to Mark and uh, chatted with him, and I remember how weird it was, just the three of us at his locker. He's slipping on the uniform, and after all those years of wearing green and gold, now he's putting on the red and blue and the gray road uniform of the Cardinals. So that was kind of the first one. Uh, the second one was... Uh, maybe in August of 98 and Mark and I were just chatting one day and I just kind of kid, you know, we we're having kind of a cordial chat and uh, uh, right by his locker. And I said, well, how many, how many home runs are you going to hit? He was probably around 50 at that time. And he looked at me and he said, well, how many do you think I'm going to hit? And I said, well, route 66 goes through St. Louis. I think you're going to hit 66. Mark says to me, if I hit 66 homers, I'll kiss your, you know what, right in the middle of this clubhouse <laughs> in front of the entire team. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, as it turns out, he did hit 66, but he kept on going. Yeah. So fortunately, fortunately, that never happened. But, you know, that tells me that Mark wasn't sure that he could hit that many. I, this was, I guess, in August. He would have taken 66 right then and say, hey, I'm good. I'm out of here. Uh, the third kind of inside story was the last week of the season. The Cardinals were home that last week. And the general manager of, of our TV station wanted me to do a, a sit-down interview with Mark McGuire. You know, we were the rights holder, along with Fox Sports Cable. They had a few of the games. We had most of the over-the-air games. And I asked Mark, I said, hey, I'm just covering my butt here. They want me to sit down with you and do like a 15-minute interview before the season's over. And I said, I don't know if there's a good time for you to do that. I'll come here at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll come here at noon, 2 p.m. You name the time, we'll do it. He turned me down like twice. And I said, hey, look, I get it. 
you know, you're getting crushed and all this stuff by the media. So I, I told my boss and he said, ask him again. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> so on the Thursday before the final three games, I walk up to his locker and he looks at me. He's like, now what? I said, Mark, I'm covering my butt. The boss wants me to ask you one more time if you'll sit down and do an interview with us. And this time McGuire says, well, when's it going to air? I said, it's going to air Sunday night after the last game of the season. And Mark said, you know what? He said, I'm going to already be on the plane to California. Me and Matt, his son, who was one of our bat boys, he said, Matt and I are already going to be on the plane flying home. He said, if you promise me that interview will not air until after the last game, I'll see you at two o'clock tomorrow. I said, okay, thanks, man. <laughs> the next day, two o'clock, there's a radio studio right outside the Cardinals clubhouse. It's me, Mark, and the camera guy. We sit down, we do a 20-minute sit-down interview, which I think is the only one he did of that length with anybody during this whole process. He talked about his dad, who had polio when he was a little kid. He couldn't play sports. Uh, there were other things he couldn't do. And I remember asking Mark, I said, uh, with that in mind, what does it mean to you to, to be able to present this to your dad. And at that time, Mark had 65 home runs and he just, he just kind of went, Oh, he said, this means the world to me that I could break that record for my dad. Well, we didn't know he was going to hit five more home runs in the next three days. So he leaves town, the interview airs. And uh, I feel honored that, that I was able to sit down with Mark McGuire on the final Friday of the regular season and do that interview because I learned a lot about him that day. Good guy. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like again. I think the documentary did a really good job of portraying both of them as, as good guys. Uh, super interesting stuff. Bob, one more before I let you go. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the 1998 season, of course, is just surrounded in controversy. Um, and it's also super fascinating the way that they both broke the home run record and McGuire ended up with 70, but Sammy Sosa ends up winning the National League MVP that year by a lot too. They he gets 30 uh, first place votes. What are your some of your takeaways and final thoughts when you when you sit back now and look back at the 1998 season? It was special. It was fun. It was dramatic. You know, we didn't know all the implications of the andro and the creatine and, you know, the steroids and all that stuff. That all kind of came later. We were just caught up in some exciting moments in baseball, Bobby. So that's about as, as simply put as I can do it. One more little anecdote, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a minute. Please. The last game of the season, my TV station was not carrying the game. But ESPN, who I was working, working for as well at that time, I was probably in my 10th or 11th year with them. They wanted me to be at the game to call marks at bats. Because on the final Sunday, ESPN was covering a whole bunch of different games that had pennant implications. Well, we're playing the Expos. FP's on that team, by the way. Masson Connection. Right, another one. And uh, they're out of the race. The Cardinals are out of the race. And speaking of Masson Connections, ESPN flies Ray Knight into St. Louis. <laughs> Ray and I sit in the booth with our headsets on. I'm keeping score. Uh, it's like we're doing our own little mini telecast. But the only thing we do is every time Mark McGuire comes up, 
ESPN comes, the entire network comes to us just to call marks at bats. So I think in the first inning, he singles. They come back to us in the third inning. He gets a solo homer, Mm -hmm. number 69. In the fifth inning, he walks. The crowd boos like crazy. And in the seventh inning, he hits a three-run homer, number 70, and then Tony La Russa gets him out of the game because if you remember from the documentary, Mark really didn't want to play. Right. He didn't think he had anything left for that Sunday. So Ray Knight and I sat in this little booth for three hours just chatting, and then the whole net, the producer says, here we go, boys. The whole network comes to us. We sit there for three hours and call four at-bats. That's all we do. Ray does highlights of the two homers, you know, the replays and all that. And uh, so Ray Knight and I have a connection to that final game when Mark hits 69 and 70. And sometimes, you know, we'll talk about it. We kind of laugh to this day that we probably made more money per word that day than at any other time in our big league careers. <laughs> right. Who knew Masson was so intertwined in the, this great home run chase? In it, it was all a mass. It was all a mass in preview <laughs> 22 years ago. And we didn't know it. Oh man. Mass and Alexis would have had so much to do covering all of that. If had that happened today, that's a lot of see you laters, Bob, um, in one season. Um, but thank you so much for hopping. Actually, well, before I let you go, you, I'm, I'm assuming yes, but you still have your scorebooks from back then. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm I'm in my office at home. You can see all my Nats playoff credentials and stuff behind me. Yeah. Um, in a box frame over here, I have um, a baseball signed by McGuire. The front page of the St. Louis Post Dispatch from the next day. Two untorn tickets from the game. A little uh, cachet thing that the uh, post office put out. I think I said a, a, a baseball that Mark. Uh, signed for me. There's a watch in there that the Cardinals presented to all of us commemorating the 70 homers. And then the two, the two pages of my scorebook from that day, uh, signed by McGuire, uh, circled and highlighted are the two home runs, number 69 and 70. And, uh, and also on the first page, uh, under the Expos extra men, some guy named Santangelo <laughs> is in my scorebook as well. So, uh, I'm just, I'm looking at it right over there. I, I I know I have the complete book from 1998 in my cabinet here somewhere. Uh, but you know, from time to time, I'll walk in my office and glance at that. And now that we've seen the documentary, you know, many more of those memories have come back. Yeah, I'm so sure, Bob. Fantastic stuff. Super great insight. What a collection you have. Um, just goes to show how long and historic career you've had as a broadcaster. And we're so lucky to have you on the Mass and Broadcast now covering the World Series champs. Hope to get, hear you on a call soon from a real live baseball game. Yeah, Bobby, we need some baseball really bad. And I'll tell you, um, as much as I enjoyed my time in St. Louis and the McGuire thing and getting a World Series ring with the Cardinals in 04, although it says National League champions, not World Champions because the Red Sox won, uh, nothing quite exceeded so far me watching our guys win the world series last fall. Uh, that's pretty much the ultimate for any of us. That's the first time that a team I was actually broadcasting won a world series championship. So, you know, great memories in St. Louis, but uh, you know, I'm a nationals guy now and last October is right there at the uh, pinnacle of anything I've ever been involved with. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, maybe one of these days, a long time from now, I'll be in your shoes recapping the 2019 <laughs> World Series from when I was covering it at Mass and All Access. Bob Carpenter, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well and hope to see you soon. All's well out here, Bobby. Thanks for having me on, buddy. 
Thanks to Bob Carpenter for his great insight on the 1998 season. Uh, be sure to give him a follow at scorebook underscore Bob on Twitter. Before we get out of here, I wanted to make sure you know where else you can get your Nationals content this week. First on MassInSports.com, Mark Zuckerman explains what the Nationals have to lose in a shortened or canceled 2020 season. And Byron Kerr staying up to date on the undrafted free agents the Nationals have been signing, including outfielder first baseman Jackson Coots out of University of Rhode Island. And don't forget about Nationals Classics on Masson. Tomorrow, Thursday, June 18th, Masson is re-airing all four of the Nationals' NLCS victories over the Cardinals from last October. Game 1 starts at 9 a.m. with Game 2 at 12.30, Game 3 at 3.30, and the sweep and pennant clinching Game 4 at 7 p.m. all on Masson. That's going to do it for this week's Masson All Access podcast. Be sure to tune in next week as I'll chat with Nats first-round pick Cade Cavalli. And also be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And follow Mass and Nationals on all of our social media platforms. You can also follow me on Twitter at Bobby underscore Blanco. Thanks again to Bob Carpenter and Paul Mancano and Hannah Broder for all their work behind the scenes. We are brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We'll see you next week.